Hey, everyone. Hi. Hello. Welcome to another episode of Alice. Hey, Reza- now. Greg, what are you doing here? Hey, what do you mean? What I- Allison, where did you, you come from, Greg? I came from the world of childish, and I just want to make sure that your listeners know that you're just as wonderful on the, on the other podcast you do. What if they don't have kids? Don't need them. You don't need them. A lot of our listeners actually tell us they don't have kids. We talk about sex. We talk about all sorts of dirty stuff, but also parenting stuff. Yeah, so. Check out Childish, new episodes every Wednesday, wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, everyone. Hi. Hello. Welcome to another episode of Allison Rosen is your new best friend. I am very excited to introduce my guest today. She is an actress, a podcaster, a mother. You know her as Meadow Soprano from The Sopranos for the 10 years that the show was on air. She also played a heightened version of herself on Entourage opposite her then boyfriend, Jerry Ferrara, aka Turtle. She's done a ton of theater. She's been on Broadway and now she is crushing the podcast game. I feel like coming for the rest of our podcast, she hosts two podcasts, uh, Mama Said with musician Jenna Paris and Pajama Pants with Robert Eiler, also from The Sopranos, and uh, YouTuber Kasim G. I don't know how he feels about being called a YouTuber. That's a question for him, really. Anyway, welcome to the show, Jamie Lynn Sigler, or is it Sigler? That's a question I should have asked you ahead of time. You said it correctly the first time. I did. Well, there you go. Hello and welcome. Hi. Thank you for that lovely intro. You know, I, so I've been putting these shows on YouTube, youtube.com slash Allison Rosen. And uh, of late, I've been writing out a little intro and then Mm -hmm. I read it and I don't like watching myself read it. So I was going to say ahead of time, like, this is my first time attempting to just see if I can like do it to camera or to computer without uh, reading it. And if I do say so myself, I did quite well. You did it. I you nailed it. it. Congrats. Everything could fall apart now, but we'd always have that moment. We'll never forget it. <laughs> so how are you? I'm good. You know, if you can hear, I picked up a little cold from my toddler. It's, you know, I realized, so he's back in preschool. Mm-hmm. And of course he brings something home, but we, no one's been sick for so long. I know. That I... Like I forgot what it's like. <laughs> I, I mean, I used to it used to be this thing. Sorry, I'm putting my computer on do not disturb so I don't get a phone call. It used to be this thing where like one of them had a runny nose or something every other week, and it was kind of so nice to go without that for so long. I but know. Now I think all our immune systems are down from not being around and washing our hands so much, no germs that. We all got hit pretty hard with this little cold. Was it extra scary because you're like, what is this sickness that we're all experiencing? Well, yeah, everything feels so much scarier, right? I, yeah, I ran and got a COVID test on Monday and um, we're negative. Good. Congratulations. (laughs) Um, I had like body aches. Apparently though, like the stuffy nose is not a COVID thing, I guess, but I had body aches, which, which scared me a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. your decision to send him back to preschool, what was that like? Because yeah. we are debating it in my house right now. It was like out of straight like necessity survival mm-hmm. for my sanity and my well-being. Like I could not, I can't homeschool my seven-year-old and have my two-year-old home and try to do like Zoom auditions and <laughs> my husband. Right working out of our dining room. Like it's just, I couldn't do it. And he needs it. Like, Mm -hmm. I mean, my, I feel bad for my seven year old, but like he can FaceTime his friends and play video games with his friends and he sees his friends. But my, my little one like needed the socialization and we felt really comfortable with the way the school was doing it. You know, no parents are allowed on campus. All the teachers wear masks. They take everyone's temperature every day. And I don't know, he's been there since July and he's doing pretty good. At the beginning, so I have a three and a half year old and a one and a half year old. And at the beginning, 
I felt like the three and a half year old was doing really well, like so much time with us and no one was getting sick. And then I feel like now it's changed and he's becoming feral. And I don't know. I mean, I'm joking, but like (laughs) these meltdowns where for like an hour, he'll just refuse to speak. He'll just grunt or whine. Um, and I don't, it's like he's possessed and I don't, I don't know. I feel like some of it might just be the age, but some of it too, is I feel like he's just been home too long and there's not enough stimulation. I think they also can't process like all the shit they're feeling. I think that they're feeling everything we're feeling energetically and what's going on and my two-year-old is like real angsty and he's like real angry and he doesn't know what he wants and he's like he wants me to go away but he wants me to come back and he doesn't you know he doesn't want this but he wants it and I actually spoke to a therapist about it and she was like you basically have to help him regulate and just make him feel seen and be like okay you're feeling this way like I get it I see you like Come to me when you calm down. You can feel this way. It's allowed. I think when we try to correct them so much or be like, don't do this or don't do that is what makes them even more crazy. Right. My older one, we can talk a little bit more through it, but they're all, they're all feeling, I mean, he's even acting out a little bit. I mean, they're all, this is a crazy time. Yeah. It's just, it is hard. It is hard. And I, I heard you on mama said, saying that you're just tired of playing with your kids. And that's how I feel. I feel so guilty because yesterday, Elliot, my three and a half year old, just wanted to be with me all day. And he was like sitting at the base of my chair, tapping it. And I was going to lose my mind. I already just got like a chill up my spine. (laughs) But there's something so sad about it. Like, but the clinginess, I feel so guilty but it's like he, all he wants is because I can remember being little and just wanting and needing reassurance and extra attention. Yes, of course. I mean, mom, I've come to accept, accept the fact that I will always feel guilty for the rest of my life now that I'm a mother. Like there's just <laughs> yes. always something I'm going to like, I will always feel guilty about something. But we are not, this isn't normal. The amount of time we're spending with our families and our children. Like when we say the village, it's, it's teachers, it's preschool. It's like all of the things. Like I didn't realize how much school was just a straight up break for me. I said to my (laughs) husband the other day, I was like, when they're both back in school, I'm going to be a straight bum, like in the bed with my coffee and a joint in my mouth, watching Netflix. And I am not going to feel bad for one minute. Like I am going to be the laziest piece of shit ever because I have not sat down since March. I feel like. (laughs) Uh, So I watched an interview with you where you said that every morning you try to think about, this was pre pandemic. Every morning (laughs) you try to think about things that you're grateful for. Do you still do that? And what did, what did you feel grateful for this morning? Um, a lot. It's usually my pillow and my bed. (laughs) That's like the first thing is it's like what I just like don't want to leave. But then it's that my husband's next to me and that I'm like going to have him to help me. I'm grateful that my kids are home and they're safe. Um, grateful for my, like my house for food, like all the essentials. Um, it's not going beyond that right now since, since March. Do you know what I mean? And and that's, I think that that's, there's a beauty in that. There's something special in that and really kind of what we need for survival. And I think that it's almost forced me to kind of be in this place where I'm actually really content with my life. And I realize like how fulfilled I am with just my little crew here and that everything else is kind of extra. And it's allowed me to kind of detach from a lot of the other stuff, if that makes sense. That's amazing. Yeah, it's been very helpful. That's really good. I felt like that. I have I have felt like that on and off. Um, sure. I've had moments where I am reminded of what I what my priorities are and what I want them to be. Like I want my family to be the thing that fills my cup, and I want work and stuff to be like what I do to make money, and uh-huh. it's outside here. But I don't want to. I don't 
want to lean so heavily into needing validation from that. And I feel like in the in this pandemic, I've been forced to, you know, m- move where I get my validation from. And then there's days where I'm like, and it's not cutting it. It is not. <laughs> it's not oh, working. For sure. I Yeah. I don't want to sit here and be like, I figured it all out. <laughs> like, yeah. There's definitely days where I'm like, get me the fuck out. Like I need a job that takes me out of this house. That will make me happy. And, you know, I've had, I actually had a conversation with a friend the other day and she was like, yeah, you know, Jamie, you want to work because it's for your family. And I was like, no, it's not. <laughs> right. I want to work because it's for me because I love acting and I, I love that. Like that gives me something. And in turn, yeah. Do my kids benefit because they get a happier, more fulfilled mom? Absolutely. But I think like, because I've been able to separate that and really, um, appreciate what work does for me and what it's about it, it like it's it's less messy and and again i have i've actually never felt that way before i've never felt so safe and happy with where i'm at and i i, I was always attached to everything so this is a very new space for me mm-hmm. um, but it's i guess also too in the beginning where it felt like kind of the world shut down and there was nothing i was missing out on right and I really heavily was focused here. I think that's where it, it like I got really deep into that appreciation and um, like security and that like if I've got this crew, I'm 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 great. Mm-hmm. Have you? Did you always want children? Yes. Yes. Did, did you always want more than one? And are you? Do you think you're done? That's I'm such done. a personal question. Sorry, I, it's sorry. okay. I think I, I'm pretty sure I'm done. I don't think I have the capacity to like worry about another human being. I, I don't think I can. My brother has five kids. Wow. Yeah. And I always ask him, I, I have like, I don't understand how you do it. He's like, you know, it gets to a certain point where they kind of start taking care of each other. <laughs> like they play with each other. They entertain yes, each other. I've heard that. <laughs> he told me, he's like, you have it worse. Cause you're having, you have to entertain both of them. Cause they're far apart enough in age. They're two and seven mm-hmm. that your needs are different. The way they play is different. Like I, I, I wish there was two of me sometimes, but with him, you know, they're all two years apart. So they, it allows him to have some reprieve, but I, I just don't think that I could handle another one. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know. I just, I, I, I'm, I'm almost 40. I think I'm done. So you quit acting for a period of time yeah. And that and and you took an acting class during that time, and that yeah. was the first time you had ta- had taken acting classes, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, how did you learn to act before that? Well, I grew up doing musical theater on Long Island, community theater. So I mean, I had I, I was in little acting like kid acting classes, uh, but then it was just you know experience. It was just working and working and working and working and absorbing what I could from different people and. It was all instinctual. And then I think that, you know, it gets to a certain point in life when you're not playing kids anymore and you're playing people with like deep history and, you know, different perspectives that I, it kind of shook me a little bit and realized like, oh, I need some tools here. Like I need, I need, there's more, and by the way, there's more than one way to skin a cat. And I, I went all around town. I read all different books and I just was really trying to understand it. But then, you know, life got in the way, you know, having kids living with MS, there was just a lot of things that made me question acting in general. And like, what was my real pull towards it? Is it really because it's all I've ever done? Or is it because it's something that I really want to do? And I really had to figure that out. And so I took a break. And I tried to do the full-time stay-at-home mom thing. And that was hard. And it wasn't that it was hard just because of the job. It was hard because I felt, I felt it physically and emotionally. Like there was a huge piece missing. Like there was, there's something else that I need to honor here that I'm not. And Mm. to make sure that it was acting, I joined an acting class, which scared the shit out of me. And it was like, you know, with like all, like I'm the oldest person in the class by far. And I, you know, I imagine probably the most well-known, right? I don't, I'm assuming none of them have any idea who I am or like, oh. ever, I don't think they were born when the show was, on. <laughs> you know, they're so young, but I, 
but it, it was really good for me because it was a really good challenge because it really pushed me out of my comfort zone. And, it, you know, I realized that this class isn't for them. It's for me. This is my chance to, A, see if I really love acting still and B, to like, you know, try things out, try different methods out, whatever. And I just became hooked. I loved every Tuesday night because it was that time for me. It was mm-hmm. like my passion, my love. So whatever, you know, passions people have, it was like giving me that time. And I realized that acting is still the thing for me. And it was an important moment for me to realize. And so then how long was that break that you took? Almost a year. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If you had decided that you didn't want to do it anymore, did you have uh, ideas in your head of what, uh, what you, what direction you might go? No, no. I think I was just going to kind of sit back, lay low, like, you know, not have a nanny, just be with my kids and kind of, you know, maybe figure something out. I, I, I love cooking. So I was like entertaining, like maybe I'll go to cooking school. But I, I, I think deep down, I knew that there was, there was no other option for me. Mm-hmm. How did you get into podcasting? So I got into podcasting because um, when I had my first son, I remember specifically feeling like I wasn't a good mom because mom culture was different seven years ago than it is now. Nobody was speaking very openly and honestly about things. They weren't talking about how it's wonderful, but it's hard. And it's, you know, it's beautiful, but it's messy. Like everything was just these beautiful Instagram worthy pictures of motherhood and nursing and this and that. And for me, I'm like, I'm leaking all over the place. I'm bleeding. I'm in a diaper. I'm I'm not happy. I'm like sad. I'm sleep deprived. And I, it, I just felt like, am I the only fucking person that's fucking up motherhood? Like, this is so hard. And I got through it. And then when I was pregnant with my second, my friend, Jenna, who was my co-host, she was a new friend. She was a far enough away friend that I was like, testing the waters because we were both pregnant with our second at the same time of just kind of being honest about certain things. And she, she would be like, girl, me too. Or, oh my God, of course, or been there, thought that, did that. Mm-hmm. And I, I felt so much better about myself. I felt so much safer. And it was empowering me as a mother to feel like I wasn't fucking it up. This is just what happens. And so she through then after our seconds were born and through the whole newborn phase and trying to balance and figure out how to do life with two, our text chain was just hilarious and colorful. And she wrote me one day and was like, this should be a coffee table book. And I was like, maybe it should be a podcast. And I know we're not reinventing the wheel here with, you know, mommy podcasting, but we just felt like you know, here we are two moms that are very different. Our ways of parenting are different. Our beliefs are different, but we have no judgment towards each other. We have such respect and support for one another that that's where Mama Said was born. And I had no idea what I was doing. Neither of us did, but we were are produced by um, these wonderful gals from a podcast called The Lady Gang. And they, um, when I sat down for our first episode, they sat with us and just helped me figure out how to structure the show, how we wanted. And it was kind of off to the races from there. And we, you know, we were in the beginning just asking friends of ours to be guests. And then it started out. And now we're like, you know, booked through next year. And it's amazing. And it's just been a really lovely thing for me in between jobs and especially even through this pandemic. Um, you know, to still stay creative and, and it's all things I'm interested in. I mean, I think as mothers, we're just always trying to figure out or find out different tips and tools and tricks and just to hear from other mothers and how, how their experience is. It's such an all encompassing experience. It's such a beautiful and crazy, magical, devastating, all the Mm. things ride that to just know that, you know, all these different moms are all going through the same thing. It's just, it's just, it's solidarity, it's support and it's empowering. You said that you guys have different styles of parenting. How would you describe them? Um, I'm like, Oh, how long has it been on the floor? Just eat it. type of mom. <laughs> and She's like, uh, is it organic? It's a wooden toy type mom, <laughs> you know, and like no iPads, no screens. And I'm like, they can watch a movie with dinner. I don't care. Oh my God. I remember the attempts to do no screen time. The like, there should be no screen. Uh, It was so long ago. I barely, I don't, 
I don't even know how it got from no screen time till they're two or whatever to like, yeah. okay, a little bit to now where if I take a photo of him, I'm like, could you put the iPad down? Because I don't want every photo. I don't want there to be an iPad in every photo because I'm afraid of getting mommy shamed. But it's like, it's with him all the time now. Yeah. No, I mean, look, there'll be phases of it. I remember Bo was like that, my older one with the iPad. And then once he started school, you know, he had other interests and extracurricular after school. He, it got to the point where on weekends we'd be like, yo, can you just take your iPad for like an hour? (laughs) Yeah. And then, and now with this pandemic and everything, the only way he can connect with his friends is playing video games with them. So Mm -hmm. I've kind of just given up with that. So I, 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 I'm more lax with Jack, my youngest, because I've seen like the ins and outs and phases. And look, I mean, technology is very much going to be part of their lives and their world. And is I just try to make sure that there's somewhat of a balance, but I'm not a stickler for it. I don't count how many hours they've had it. I don't like, you know, I don't keep track of that kind of stuff. Um, you know, I figured, oh, he's in school and he doesn't have an iPad that whole time. So he can have it when he's home. Right. <laughs> like stuff like that. Have you seen The Social Dilemma? Not yet. I'm like, I, I, it's on my queue, but I'm almost afraid to. It, um, yeah, it made me, it, it, I had this realization that there hasn't been a day in as long as I can remember that I haven't engaged with social media. It's like part of yeah. every single day of my life. Yeah. Um, but it did make me realize, well, <laughs> look at the ways I am twisting all of this to make myself feel okay. My kids aren't on social media. That's what's really bad for them. They're just, well, actually, he's on YouTube watching, but he's not like signed in or anything. So right, therefore, right. it's more okay. <laughs> I don't know. Bo asks me every day if he could have a YouTube show. Really? Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, what will it be about? Like, if we make videos on my phone, he's like, hi, guys. I'm like, who's the guys? Who are the people we're talking to? My son think. Have you ever seen Ryan's toy review or toys? Of course you have. Of your yeah, parents, of course you have. Um, Elliot thinks the name of that show is Hi Guys. He calls it Hi Guys. <laughs> so he wants to watch Hi Guys. <laughs> but nothing annoys my husband more than the sound of Ryan's parents' voices. That's funny. Like he'll walk by and be like, oh, <laughs> I can't listen to his mom anymore." That's so but funny. See, I know people who I'm, are irritated by her too. I'm okay yeah, with her. I tune it out. They're yeah. so happy with it. Whatever. How do you feel about Blippy? Did you guys have a Blippy phase? We had a Blippy phase. I got my husband a Blippy costume for Halloween oh, last wow. year. I got him like the orange suspender glasses yeah. thing. Blippy's fine. I don't care. I mean, it seems somewhat educational. Mm-hmm. He's talking about nice things. He's like wild and, and attractive. Actually, I feel like if you he- if you were to deep lip deep Blippy him, I feel like he would be pretty handsome. Have you seen him deep Blippy? No, but in my I can do it. In, your, oh, in my mind, oh, I can do I it. Can yeah, I can't. I'm like same with like a house, like. I can't design this in my head or I have no vision. Like I need somebody to like, I can't do that. I, that's the same as I don't, so I don't know why I'm able to imagine Blippi out of cost. And I'm not talking about naked, but I just mean out of costume. But I also truly, when we were house hunting, lack an imagine. like I am so susceptible to staging. If I walk into a house, oh. it's, and I, and I'm like, can we take it with the furniture? Yes. <laughs> Versus like a house where, it just looks like how the people who were in there before had it. And it's like, yes. you know, it's, it's not on trend at all anymore. Then I, it turns me off, even though really, if I had a good imagination, I should be able to imagine it with right. all my stuff and blippy inside. I don't know. And blippy. Oh, <laughs> imagine if he came with a house. I'd buy it. Oh, my kids would love it so much. Even though I realize I'm painting this as if I have a crush on him. Um, do I, I? I don't know. No, you so, don't. Um, and Pajama Pants, your other podcast. Yes. Oh, so Pajama Pants. So Rob and I have been best friends, obviously, from the beginning. And from, from when you guys started working when with When we each other? started Sopranos, yeah. And we have such a special relationship. I mean, when I look at him, I don't even think about the Sopranos. Like, he's Rob. He's such a special person in my life. And he's been through a lot. And I've been through a lot. And we're two very different people. But we have such love and compassion for each other. And he is a natural host. Like, you know, he really quit acting. He went, moved to Vegas, played poker. He's had a lot of incarnations. And he said to me, he's like, if I move to LA, 
will you host a podcast with me? And I would bring my friend Kasim along. And I was like, sure. If it means once a week I get to sit down and hang out with you, great. And we didn't know what the show was going to be. We didn't know what the vibe was going to be. And it took a minute for us to find our footing. But now we feel like we're in this groove and we love it. It's just, it's we we know each other's buttons and we know how to play with each other. And it's just, it's just been a real discovery for us two of our friendship. And it's gotten us even closer, if that was possible. And he's become such a part of my family. My kids love him. And having him so close and having this kind of new um, journey with him has been a lot of fun. And it's just turned a year old. It's a really fun show. And it hey. looks so good, too. Now I'm going to ask my Inside Baseball Behind the Scenes podcast questions that really I should ask off air. But, I'm, but maybe the listeners are curious, too. Um, where do you guys film it? And you, obviously not specifics. Yeah. but in our producer's garage. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. The table is so cool and so perfect for the way you film. Is that a custom table? They built it. They're like such hipstery cool like people. I don't know how. And I think Kasim found them. Like these are not people I would somehow find. <laughs> yeah, they, they, they did everything. And then the backdrop behind you, are those like, is that a sheet? Is it a rug? They're rugs. You're, this is now the second podcast I have talked to that doesn't make sense, but you're the second person I've talked to where there's a rug hanging in the background, which is really good for acoustics. Yes. How, but how do you hang around? I mean, that seems so heavy to be hanging. They have rug. those huge clips, clamps. like the big, big, big clamps. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. On, on like a, a metal pole. Now you say that these are hipsters that you wouldn't normally hang out with. Or do you not see yourself as a hip person? I'm just not cool. No, like I don't know where to find these people. They're doing everything cool and listening to all the cool music and eating at all the cool places. And I'm still ordering from Granville and like <laughs> Hugo's and watching Love Island, you know? Um, listen, I think that your self-esteem might need a little bit of help. And oh. I want to tell you and everyone else about something. If you think you may be depressed or you're feeling anxious, stressed, or overwhelmed, BetterHelp offers licensed professional counselors who are trained to listen and to help. Talk with your counselor in a private online environment at your own convenience from wherever you're comfortable. BetterHelp counselors have expertise in a broad range of areas such as anxiety, grief, depression, relationships, LGBT matters, trauma, family conflicts, self-esteem, and more. BetterHelp can give you access to help that may not be available in your area. Easily schedule secure phone or video sessions with your therapist. Plus, you can exchange unlimited messages Everything you share is confidential. And if for any reason you're unhappy with your counselor, you can request a new one at any time at no additional charge. That I think is is worth underlining because I think especially now starting up therapy with a new therapist, you might feel like, well, what if I don't click with them? What if I'm stuck? You are not stuck at all. They will find you the right person. BetterHelp is an affordable option, and our listeners get 10% off your first month with the discount code BESTFRIEND. Get started today at BetterHelp.com slash BESTFRIEND. That's BetterHelp, better, H-E-L-P.com slash BESTFRIEND. Talk to a therapist online and get help. So I wanted to ask you, um, you have MS, and you kept it a secret for 15 years. Yeah. What was that like, having that secret? Well... I mean, it was, it was, it was in hindsight, I mean, so harmful to mm-hmm. me, but during it, and especially in the earlier years, I felt like it was essential because it was the protecting me, um, for my career and everything. And, um, you know, and very, I don't judge, judge what I did. I don't judge the journey. I think that I learned a lot through it. And I think it also deepened a lot of my friendships because I had a very small circle of people that knew and to feel the support and how fiercely like my friends protected me in ways that I needed them to, um, was special. And, you know, I, I'm a very prideful person. I like to do things on my own. I I don't need anybody. I got this, I got this. And so for me, when I came out about it, was the biggest lesson. It wasn't just the relief of like not holding the secret anymore, but I was like, Oh, now I have to actually really learn how to ask for help. Mm -hmm. And that was really difficult, but I was also able to see how 
much people enjoy helping and how good it makes people feel to help. You know, I think that also when I was keeping it a secret, um, it was haunting me and it was defining me. Mm -hmm. And once I was able to be honest and open about it, it was a chance for me to um, learn how to really live with it and accept it. I think also living with it in secret, you can, you can keep a little bit of denial there Mm -hmm. because I was living this lie. And so now when people know I can't hide this anymore. And so I, I have to really learn how to have deep acceptance. And I think that, with any chronic illness, there's more, way more of an emotional journey than there is a physical one. I mean, there's obviously physical limitations, but they're different for everybody. But I think the emotional journey is the same and how long it takes you is different. Um, I've had this disease almost 20 years. And I think that I've almost shifted now into this place of gratitude for it, believe it or not, because it has given me a lot it's taken a lot from me and I'm, it still bums me out. It makes me sad, but I am very much at peace with who I am today. And I think that the work I've done for that, I never would have found without MS. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? Yeah. During the time you were keeping it a secret, what was your fear? Like if people mm-hmm. found out, then what? No one would hire me again. And that, people would assume what I could and couldn't do. Mm. And I think that me constantly trying to cover it up and fake it was like almost me believing like it wasn't really a problem. Mm -hmm. And then I was still trying to cover it up and people were like, Oh no, I see something's wrong. You're limping (laughs) going on. And it was just, it was, I, I did an entire season of a television show where everyone's like, what's going on with your walking? And I'd be like, what do you mean? Like it, it was, it was terrible. I mean, I would come home crying every night to my husband, just being like, what am I doing? Like, I hate this. This is, and he, he would say to me, just tell them, I'm sure that they would help you. And I just, I couldn't see it. Mm -hmm. I couldn't, I couldn't believe that people would actually support me in this business. And I have to say that I've had opportunities now where people are like, let's write it in. And I'd be like, really? Like, really, like, it's, it's still hard for me to believe that, um, I guess like I'm good enough that you're willing to take this along with me. Yeah. So it was a concern that if they knew, then it would be a complication that they wouldn't want to deal with. Yeah. A burden. Yeah. A burden. Yeah. Exactly. And it was just, you know, like, a, oh, we got to shoot around this or, oh, we... and the truth of the matter is here's my limitations. I can't run. I can't wear high heels. After enough walking, I start to walk with a limp. You know, it's that kind of stuff. But other than that, I'm okay. Like, thank God. Not, I am nothing cognitively, nothing. any. Like, I can emote. I can act. I am here with you. I have energy. I don't have fatigue. I have got this. But I move a little different. And that's not. And also, people a lot will say to me, you don't look sick which is rough because, and I don't think of myself as sick, but it's kind of like, well, what does that mean? Mm -hmm. Like, I don't look like somebody that would have MS. Like, and it's hard, I think for people, you you don't see a lot of people on screen that are, that look like me, that maybe move a little bit different. Do you know what I mean? They're, they're the ingenue, they're the this, they're the that. And so it's about, and it's, I've come to learn in acting class. Like I am doing this work until I have that day where somebody's like, I don't care. You can be you and move the way you move. And that doesn't have to be the whole story that we tell. It could be about a woman. It could be about a mother. It could be about whatever it is. And she just happens to have this thing. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? When you hear someone say you don't look sick, what, what does that mean to you? I understand. I'm not mad at them. I get it. I, 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 I get it. I just, I wish that it wasn't that. I think I just feel like I wish it wasn't that way. There's so many people that are like me that are, are still hiding it because of that. I think it's, and it's, and it's, I remember when I came out about it, the amount of people that wrote me saying that they were too keeping it a secret. I was shocked. Mm -hmm. Just like, 
they just, I'm so afraid to tell my boss. I'm so afraid to tell my family. I'm so afraid to tell people I'm dating. Like, it's just, you're just so worried that people don't, you're always worried enough if you're enough, right? And if people like you or want you, but then when you come with this baggage, you're like, they definitely are not going to fucking want me with this, Mm -hmm. you know? So it's, it's, it's a bit of a mind fuck. And you have to get to this point, I think where I'm at now, where I'm like, I'm capable of a lot. I've, I'm raising two little humans. I'm, I'm doing a lot of my own. I'm empowered because of the resiliency and the fight that I put in every day. But I don't feel like I'm better than anybody. Everybody's got to fight. Everybody's got something. This is my thing. It's the same way no one would look at you and be like, you don't look like somebody whose dad's an alcoholic. You're like, what, what the fuck does that mean? Right. Do you know, what I mean? it's just, we, you can't judge that way. Is it that in that statement, you hear that they have an idea in their mind of what someone who's sick should look like? Yes. Got it. Yes. And that's a person that's, you know, in a wheelchair or with a right. cane or frail or, you know, having trouble speaking, whatever it is. It's not a young, you know, mom, a woman who's, you know, jokey and quick mm-hmm. and, you know, and whatever. I mean, I, people are always like, you look so healthy. And I'm like, I am. Right. It's almost I a am. suggestion that like, and you're supposed to be this other thing. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Like you're like, doing I, so well for someone who is in such a state and you're mm-hmm. like, I'm not, it's not that. Yeah. Yeah. And again, like I, there are moments where I'll get up and I'm really stiff and I'm really mad. I'm really annoyed. I'm really frustrated. This is what I div- deal with. This is what I live with. I fantasize about how easy it could be if I didn't have these limitations. But, you know, then I move on. I mean, mm-hmm. and, and still do what I want to do. Um, changing topics for a sec. You yeah. uh, said that James Gandolfini taught you to have confidence and yeah. taught you that it's your time, not theirs. Like when you go into an audition or a meeting. And I love yeah. that. But can you, like, what, what, it's your time, not theirs. What does that mean to you? This is your reserve time. This is your time. Like, this isn't like, you're not like, hi, can I sneak in here and just audition? For you? <laughs> it's like, no, this is my allotted time. This is my chance to show you my interpretation, my truth of this role. And, and that's it. And, and that it sort of changed my perception of auditions. Mm-hmm. But then on, on set, what, he, you know, what he taught me a lot was about, you have a voice. If you think you want another take, you as the actor can ask. It's not up to the director. And I remember we were doing a scene together and he looked at me because they were like, okay, we're done. And I was just sitting there and he's like, are you done, Jamie? I was like, what do you mean? He's like, do you feel like there's something different you want to do? Or do you feel like there's maybe something more you could give? And I was like, I don't know. He's like, then ask for it. And I was like, I didn't know I was allowed. He's like, yeah, you can ask. And he was like, hold on. Jamie wants another take. Give her another take. And he said, he's like, You're, that's not like they, they would, they respect that. They want that. They, if they're happy, if you feel like you can do more, like you're not wasting someone's time. You, you are a part of this. And he, he really deeply taught me that. That's a hard lesson to learn. It is. Um, I think especially as women, but also as a young person on a set, what was your, the family you grew up in like? Um, uh, Long Island, Jewish family, two older brothers, went to public school. My brothers played baseball. Like my dad worked, it was an account for a stationary company. My mom was a stay-at-home mom. It was like very, very normal. We weren't rich, but we weren't poor. Like we didn't need for anything. We were, you know, happy childhood. And as a young girl, eight, nine years old, I just really expressed an interest in performing and musical theater and was very excited about that. So Long Island has a really incredible, you know, community theater program, like all over. So there was always some production that I could audition for or be in. And my mom, my brothers um, were five and eight years older than me. So fortunately for me at that time, they they were older. So my mom was able to, you know, devote that time and help me, you know, kind of fulfill that dream because no one in my family was in show business. It was a very new thing. Mm -hmm. Um, In... Growing up in your family, did you learn to um, – what I'm trying to ask is yeah. this feeling on set that you can't ask for another take, this feeling that you might be burdening someone 
um, by auditioning for them. Was any of that and all of that is very normal, though. I think a lot of people yeah. would relate to that. But do you feel like any of that came from lessons that you might have picked up from the way your family interacted? It's a good question. It's all those are all the things I'm trying to figure out in therapy right now. Yeah, I mean, I think I got a lot of um, from my mom. She wasn't stage mommy, but you know, when I would come back for an audition, would be like, "What did they say? What did they think? Did they love you? This mm. and that." And I think they're very normal questions to ask, but when you're a little kid or you're any age, I mean, I started to feel like, oh shit, if they didn't say anything, then I failed. Then it, then it was, it wasn't great. It wasn't, it wasn't about that. And so now even with my son, when he goes and plays baseball or does all these things, my only question to him is, did you have fun? because I'm trying to shift his focus Mm -hmm. because it took me so long. And I'm still, you know, there's still times where I'm like trying to realize it's not about the other people's experience. It's about my own. But I think that there was a little bit of that. And I think that, yeah, I cut my mom came from Cuba. And so she comes from a really, really scary fucked up background where she was came here in something called project Peter Pan, where she was ripped from her family and Mm. sent to America and lived in a boarding school for a year, not knowing if she'd ever see her family again, didn't speak English, 12 years old, like real survival mode, real, you know, comes from, you know, a communist country, Mm. just a lot of, a lot of stuff. And so there's a lot of like put on the airs that like, you know, she's somebody that will always have makeup on and always put together. And so it was a lot of like, tell them you're fine, Jamie. Don't tell them anything's wrong. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's probably a lot of where like the high DMS, like right. everything's fine. You're, you're great. You're easy. Don't be a problem. You don't want to get fired. So I did hear a lot of that, a lot of that growing up. When you decided to, um, to, to speak out about having MS, did your parents have opinions about it? Oh yeah. Not happy. Really? Mm-mm. And that was really, honestly, it was very, it was a little devastating to me because it was such a big moment for me that I was so proud of myself that I was going to do it. And I, I had found the strength to, to say, to own it and be like, fuck it. I'm going to see what happens by just saying this because I didn't do anything wrong. I'm tired of feeling shameful. I'm tired of feeling guilty about this. Like, I don't know why I have it, but I I'm, I'm done feeling I'm done hiding it and I'm done feeling bad about it. And instead they were mainly my mom was just like, no, no, please don't, please don't do it, please. And I know she was just trying to protect me, but I, I, I realized that, it's not my job to please my mom anymore. And I, she can just watch me and the woman I am becoming. And I will say that she has recognized that she said, like, I'm so proud of you. Like I'm learning from you. Yeah. It's, it's a total healthy relationship, but it, it, it was, I'm able to see it for what it is now, but in the moment it was hard. Did that give you pause? Like, was, did you have, no, no, I was just more like, I think honestly, it was more, I think it also made me sad because I was like, oh, this is why I did this for so long. Yeah. You know, it was like, oh, that's where this comes from. And recognizing that like deep conditioning mm-hmm. that I had and, um, and not being mad at them for it. I wasn't mad. It was just, it was just more a sadness and just, you know, just having to really sit with that right. for a little bit. Um, yeah, I relate very intensely to the, the realization that your job is not to please your parents, but it's hard. That is hard. Yeah. Still, my mom will be like, what's going on? Any auditions? Anything happening? And like, it's almost this point where I'm like resentful, where I'm like, nothing's happening. Nobody (laughs) wants me, mom. How do you like that? (laughs) Um, yeah, I remember when I met the, the guy who is my husband now, um, and we were just friends at the beginning and then we started dating and I just had this sense that this, this one is different, I think. Yeah. Um, and I didn't tell my mom for a while because I, I felt very secure in the relationship 
Um, and, and that was different than, you know, my past relationships. And I felt like right now it is focused on how do I feel about him? How do I feel about this? But I know for some reason, if I tell her, she will ask a couple questions and then all of a sudden I will feel insecure and worry. Does he like me? Does he like me enough? When right now it's focused on whether I like him. And I don't mm. even, it's like not even anything specific she would say. I don't know what it is. It's somehow, it's, it reminds me sort of of what you're saying about the audition questions. Like, oh, how'd the audition go? Da, da, da. It, it puts your focus on, do, am I enough? Do they, do, do they like me? Well, it's also, I don't need your approval. I don't need your judgment on this. Like, I, I can trust my own. Yeah. And I think it's a lot about trust. I think, you know, of just being like, I've got this. Like, let me also like live my life. And I I try, even though my kids are young, I'm trying to be like, I really want to step back and let you figure out who you are. Yes. I don't want you to figure out who you are because of how I praise you or how I'm like, oh, that's a good boy. Or like, I'm really trying hard. I'm not perfect at it, but I try to be conscious of them really letting them figure out what feels good to them. Yes. Yes. I try so hard to do the same. Like I don't want to define them in any way. Mm -mm. Even something as simple as, so last night, uh, Daniel and I were in Elliot's room and he was like playing with Elliot and he's like, um, he's such a skinny, like, or like, you're such a skinny mini or he's such a skinny mini. Like, isn't he skinny? And I went, I don't think we should say that. And he's like, yeah. He didn't understand why. And and I was like, let's just talk about this later. And we will talk about it. And I'm trying to, I don't even know why. I guess because those, that word is so loaded. I don't want him yeah, to feel. any labels. Yes. You just don't want anything. Like, cause you know, you don't, you know, there's like weird shit that you still yes. remember that really sits with you. And you're like, that was probably insignificant at the time, but it kind of fucked me up. Like, yeah. You know, so you're, you're, I think that's really wonderful that you're being so conscious about that. I mean, that's huge in and of itself, even if you don't change anything. I mean, like you should applaud yourself for even being aware like that. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I know that you have talked about, you had an eating disorder on Sopranos. Yeah. Right before. Right before. How yeah. are you with all that now? So, you know, it's so weird. Um, it was such a like intense year of my life. But I, and I, I don't have issues around it now. And I think it's because, but I still have issues. And I think that at the time it was just all around control and I just focused it on food and weight. And I didn't like how I looked at all. I did not like how thin I was, but it was just like, but I can control this and seeing the scale go down. And I was just, I felt having it go the other way meant I was out of control. Right. Truthfully, when I was told by Sopranos that I needed to put on weight, I went out of control and gained like 60 pounds and then was like buried by fans of how fat I got and this and that. And it it really hurt me because this is my first time on in front of a camera, anything. And to me, I was thinking, oh, people are obviously going to notice how much weight I gained, but people are probably going to be like, oh, good. Like, she's not sick anymore. And the fact that it was the complete opposite, like really threw me. Yeah. Um, and I remember I just, I don't even remember who it was, but they were like, just tune that fucking shit out, Jamie. Like you're, I was, I grew up on a set where literally they did not care what size I was as long as I wasn't ill. Like they, what they're like, what's your size this season every year? Like it didn't matter. And so to have that support. And I was young. I mean, I was 16, 17, 18. And I figured myself out in my twenties of how to, how, you know, get into more moderation. And I don't know. I don't, I don't stress too hard about weight. I also think because of MS, like I have such a different relationship with my body where it's, it's more about like what it's capable of than the way it looks. Like if somebody told me I had to live with an extra 20 pounds and I can run again, I'd be like, give it to me. You know, it, I don't care about, being thin, um, I care about feeling good. Mm-hmm. Do you miss running? So much. I think it's just that freedom. I think it's also just, I can remember it. I mean, I can close my eyes and meditate and just like remember what it's like. And I was a dancer. I mean, it was just all those things. And it's just, you know, to kind of feel very locked up in your mm-hmm. body um, is hard. It's, it's, 
because it's 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 there's no harmony it feel i feel very disconnected Mm -hmm. from my body i feel like i've like i have this like inner body that like remembers this like being this big and then this physical body that like keeps me small do you know Mm -hmm. what i mean yeah it's that's kind of where my work lies in right now is like i accept this disease i accept what it is but i have to figure out how i can feel safe in mm-hmm. this body if that makes sense yeah um so i have some questions for you from listeners okay. they came oh. in on patreon and on twitter um i'm on patreon patreon.com slash allison rosen is where you go you can get behind the scenes content bonus episodes etc uh so i got some questions from there and we have a song when we ask they send them in they're wondering how you have been so thanks so much for answering these questions from our fans all right Jessica Rodriguez says, yes, I love Jamie Lynn and her openness about her MS, which I was just diagnosed with recently. What kind of self-care does she do on bad days to feel more normal? Hmm. Um, honestly, like the self-care for me, I, I'm a big meditator. Even It's like just like literally 10, 15 minutes and it's always guided, but it's really just um, relaxes me. Mm-hmm. Um. I'm a big, like, let me lay in bed and watch Bravo. Like that's, that's like, it's just like give an hour to get a full reunion in. And it's just so nice. Um, also connecting with my girlfriends, like Ty, I also like surrounded by all boys all the time. Mm-hmm. Like even my dog's a boy. So getting a time just, you know, with some of my girlfriends or one-on-one is, it really feels like self-care. And uh, then, you know, physically, you know, massages, things like that when I can is really really helpful and and it's kind to my body I think you know because I said it's just like a harsh relationship when I do something that's like kind and nice and feels nice it's always good which are your favorite Bravo shows all the housewives I actually and Vanderpump I mean I'm a big Vanderpump but I've I'm you like OC Beverly Hills New York those are those are my ladies uh do you have opinions on selling sunset I can't I decide. Watched it yet. Okay, I can't decide if I should get into it. I've, I'm like a few episodes in. Um, I used to be so I was so into Vanderpump for a while that any podcast I appeared on during that time, I drove the conversation toward Vanderpump. <laughs> um, and then I I don't know if it's because I I don't know what happened. Like I sort of fell off at a certain point, but I was just I was a guest on a Vanderpump podcast, not hosted like someone host host a Vanderpump. Uh, focus podcast and I was like should I get back into it he's like you have to you have to get back into yeah. it because there's a moment where they break the fourth wall or something and it's like totally worth it right yeah I mean it's kind of, I think the only thing that bothers me a little bit about Vanderpump right now is that none of you work there <laughs> no right you no know yeah. like don't tell me Ariana that you're like needing a job and so you're bartending back at pump like give me a break you just moved into like a two million dollar house right like, have you ever oh sorry go ahead no so i'm like just shoot the shoot you guys like forget the restaurant right at this point. right we can let that go yeah. uh have you been to any of the bars or restaurants um well lance fast is is one of my best friends yeah, he's he married really you right to- yeah by that i mean he- i married him oh wow so he is very close with lisa vanderpump and ken so I want to say also when I first moved to LA, I might have had dinner at Sir and thought it was just beautiful. And then his rehearsal dinner was at Pump. Okay. But I haven't been to Tom Tom. Uh, how was that doing his ceremony? Because I, my one of my best friends officiated my wedding and did such a good job and had such nice things to say about it. But I have always felt like that's a, a big ask. Yeah, I, I looked at it as such an honor. I did it also with my, my friend... Um, Joanna. So we, we kind of like tag teamed it, but it was very grand. It was like on this big staircase. They had like all their model friends as their flower girls. I mean, somebody was like singing from a balcony. Mm -hmm. Like it was like, you know, really grand and we were all in ball gowns. I mean, it was, it was like, it was filmed for E. So it was like ridiculously amazing. Uh, Alyssa Van Dyke wants to know what is the best part and the heart. This is a hard question. The best part and the hardest part of being a mom. Uh, the best part is 
like seeing yourself through your kids' eyes, just like they think you're the greatest thing in the world, no matter what happens and how much they love you and need you. Um, the hardest part is disciplining. I, I, I just, I always mad at myself when I do it. I don't like yelling, but like we're human. And I just, you know, I think just kind of letting moments get the best of me is the hardest. Mm-hmm. I feel that so much. Um, Alyssa Van Dyke also says, are there any upcoming projects or groups you're involved in that we can support that would forward progress on MS research? Um, well, I'm a patient at the Tish MS um, Center. And so Tish MS Research Center is always raising money. Um, and I don't know. I mean, sometimes sometimes I'm really active in things. Sometimes I'm not. I'm by no means like meant to be like the MX, MS spokesperson. Do you know what I mean? I mm-hmm. just am trying to be like somebody that's just openly living my life on and honestly and sharing. And just so, you know, maybe sometimes you can find some, you know, community and just knowing that there's somebody else out there like you. Um, sometimes I feel bad, like I should be doing more, but at the same time, I'm like, I, I, I'm doing all I can, <laughs> you know, in my life. And Tamara Haddis says, hi, Jamie, I have a chronic illness and the pandemic has been extra stressful for me. How are you dealing with having to go through this crap with MS? Yeah, I mean, it was hard. I burnt out really hard, like a couple of weeks in for sure. Um, I made time for me every week, once a week to go to therapy. And that was a game changer. Um, are you still doing? Wait, are you actually yeah. going to therapy? Yeah. I mean, sometimes we zoom and sometimes I'll go. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, it was on zoom for a while and that was just so important. Yeah. I, so I've been doing weekly, we do FaceTime. Um, and at the beginning I resisted it, but now I find that it's like, it feels just like being there. Yeah. Actually, I'm surprised how easy it is. Yeah. You just need the conversation. Yes. Um, yeah, I'm a big fan of therapy. I feel like everyone would benefit from being in therapy. That's my personal philosophy. Everyone. Yeah. Everyone. I'm like shocked sometimes that I went so long without it. Did you go a long time without it? Yeah. So long. I only recently started like regularly, regularly. What, if I may ask, like what, what was the thing that made you go, Oh, I think I need to do this. Um, huh. I think it was like I was being really hard on myself and like feeling irrational and just and like trying to like figure it out on my own and then just realizing like why am I doing this? Like why am I trying to figure this out on my own? This is this is stupid. Like I'm not equipped for this. This is why they're a therapist. And so yeah. and it was just, you know, me asking around different friends and, and getting getting advice and I found the, the best one. Uh, okay. Now some questions, uh, on Twitter. How did Jamie get involved with Tim and Eric on beef house? Any interesting anecdotes about working with this odd pair and their unique supporting cast? Yes. They reached out to me. It was crazy. It was out of the blue. I think they really, you know, like to cast, you know, um, like unexpectedly. Mm -hmm. And so obviously, and they loved the soprano. So the idea of like, you know, somebody from this drama playing like they wanted somebody like real that was really going to play it really real <laughs> ridiculous characters all around. It was, it was, it was the strangest thing I've ever done, but the funniest, those guys are so smart, so funny, so kind. I had a really great time doing it. It was like a couple of weeks at a soundstage right near my house. It was a dream job. Uh, Billy C says, does she know how to parallel park now? <laughs> I've always known how to parallel park. <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, Stephanie Whittles Wax says, I lived across the hall from her at NYU Hayden Hall. I, oh think that's, I think that's what it was called. It was the dorm on Washington Square West. No what? real question here, but hey. What's up? <laughs> that's so funny. Did you have a good experience there? I did, but I had to defer because I was a psychology major. I wasn't in any of the acting programs. I was filming the second season of Sopranos at the time, and they couldn't work around my class schedule. So I had to defer after two semesters. Um, Andy Neiman says, ask about the Sopranos scene where she's singing No Scrubs with Hunter making a mess in the kitchen. It's one of my favorites. Uh, I mean, I don't know what to say other than like, I don't know. I remember kind of feeling ridiculous about it. Um, 
it was like one of those things where like, because I'm a singer, I'm like, how am I supposed to sing this? Am I supposed to sing this bad? Or am I supposed to like try and sing this good? So I like kind of did something in the middle. It was weird. Um, okay. A new account, Christy Yamagoo, and I can't tell what the rest of the name is, says, could she tell Lady Gaga was going to be a megastar? I'm embarrassed to say I don't know what this is a reference to. I mean, I know who Lady Gaga is. She, but- had, like a, she had like one line in The Sopranos, apparently. Okay. I wasn't in that scene, so I, I, can't, I can't lie and be like, I knew. <laughs> uh, Anthony Calito, what was her motivation in the last scene of The Sopranos? What did David Chase tell her about the scene before they shot it? Nothing. You're late. <laughs> You're running late. Um, does it drive you nuts? When, this is a question from um, at Allison Rosen. Does it drive you nuts when people say Sopranos? Well, no, because I think that's how it's supposed to be called. Oh, is and it? I've said Sopranos. And I think it's, well, guess what? During quarantine, I've w- started watching it for the very first time. I've never seen it. And everyone in the show is saying Soprano. And I'm like, what? <laughs> I say soprano forever. I was probably the idiot on the show that would be like, no, soprano, soprano. Oh, so no, it doesn't annoy me. It just makes me feel like an idiot. So wait, you've never seen it. You never watched, you never even caught bits of yourself on it. I mean, on the premiere and maybe the last episode, but other than that, no. So how, how's your experience? I mean, aside from realizing that we're all saying it wrong, how's your experience been watching it? <laughs> oh, you know, it's been lovely because I think that, um, there's been enough time passed. There's no judgment there. And it's, it's given me like, I, I get it now. I get why people feel the way they feel. I'm like, oh, it's such a good show. I can't believe I got to be on this. I mean, I knew how lucky I was, but now I get it. Um, so how, how far are you into it? Season four. So I have a segment that I do. It is called How Dare You? It's where I ask you extremely personal questions. You are allowed to say how dare you if you don't want to answer. Okay. Um, And before I do it, I like to ask on a scale of like one to ten, one being very private, ten being open book. Where do you put yourself? Open book. Okay. I think. All right. And uh, and we have a song. I'm happy to be on the show. Ask me anything you want to know. I'll be sure to. What? How dare you? Okay. How did you lose your virginity? In the bedroom, my boyfriend's bedroom. Like no, no real. Well, his mom walked in. What? That is a, a thing. Yeah, she was a stewardess, and I don't think she was supposed to come home. And I think the flight got canceled. Yeah. Were you mortified? Oh. Oh, terrible. I remember the next time I came over, she was like, how to talk with us about birth control. And I was like, oh, I'm so sorry. This is terrible. Not um, how I envisioned it. How old were you? You don't have to say if you don't want. 16. 16. Um, okay. Uh, what is the most you've ever spent on a single item, car excluded? A watch. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. Uh, it was a couple of thousand dollars. Do you love it? Oh, it's my favorite thing. What kind of watch is it? It's a Rolex. Oh, wait. You got a Rolex for a couple thousand dollars? Aren't they usually yeah. like way more thousands of dollars? I mean, it's like seven or eight thousand dollars. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, have you ever cheated on a test? Yeah. I think I've looked at other people's answers or something before in high school. Um. The funny thing is like, okay, so a lot of listeners have sent in questions too, not specific to you, but I always don't feel comfortable asking like the, the ones that are like ridiculously personal. So, um, uh, okay. Here's an easy, fun one. What is the last thing you screenshot? Oh, uh, can I, should I look? Yeah. Oh, a couch. Are you in the market? Are you in the market for any couch? I don't know why. I just, <laughs> I love, I, I, like I said, I don't have a vision of interiors. So um, I think I just really love when I see like pretty interiors. And mm-hmm. so I just screenshot in case I ever want to redo a living room, I guess. Jamie, thank you so much for coming on the show. This was great. Oh my God. Of course. I loved chatting with so you. Um, I hope that everyone's colds get better. Oh, thank you. Me too. <laughs> uh, 
If you uh, would like to follow me on social media, please do. I'm at Allison Rosen on Twitter and Instagram. Follow the show's uh, Twitter feed at A-R-I-Y-N-B-F. If you like what you're hearing, please subscribe uh, and and uh, click five stars and tell your friends and all that. And also listen to my other podcast, Childish. That's my parenting podcast that I do with Greg Fitzsimmons. I'm on Patreon, patreon.com slash Allison Rosen. And we're doing annual memberships on Patreon. There's an option for that where you get um, a bit of a, a, a nice bit of savings. And also I'm on Cameo, cameo.com slash Allison Rosen. Jamie, tell everyone where they can find you and plug whatever you would like to plug yes uh instagram i'm jamie lynn sigler twitter i'm jamie l sigler um and then i have my two podcasts mama said and pajama pants yes thank you so much have a good rest of your day you too all right bye hey do you know about the allison rosen show Gotta go.